Hello, Internet, and welcome back to episode number two of the Wonky Cast. I hope you all had a fun Star Wars day yesterday and that uh, you're not suffering too badly from the Revenge of the Fifth today. Uh, so today's show is a very good friend of mine, author Paul Grigorczyk, uh, who I've known for many, many years. is a wonderful, wonderful man and uh, a great writer. Uh, so, yeah, please sit back and enjoy. Hello. Is that better? That's much better, mate. I can hear you properly now. Yay. Hurrah. Hurrah. I can't see you, though. I've got no video from you. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Well, we both got older and chubbier than our pictures, haven't we? Oh, mate, it happens. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it. I'm blaming it on widescreen. I think it must be in widescreen and it shrunks. It just makes me look fatter. Ah, that's probably it, because I've got a widescreen monitor, unlike my phone, which looks exactly the same, but we won't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, since I last saw you, you got married and everything. Yeah, I got married. I have a I have a beautiful Turkish wife that we met a few years ago, and um, having spent most of my life thinking that I was never going to... Uh, I was never actually going to get married, I met the one, and I knew straight away that that was, that was it. Took me six months to get the balls up just to ask her out for a drink, mind. But wow. Yeah, well, I actually thought she was so much younger than me. I thought she's about nineteen. Oh, and right. turns out, turns out she's only sort of six years younger than me, but she looks a lot younger than that. And uh, yeah, I was thoroughly convinced that I was I'd, I'd get arrested just for looking at her. Then do, 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 another thing we have in common, then, sir. Emma still gets ID'd for beer and stuff now. Yeah, Asla does all the time. She does all the time, and it's. Uh, it's quite funny, actually. I, I keep telling her to take it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, they should know I'm old enough. Well, see, I, Emma's like, for God's sakes, I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> if only I look that young. Unfortunately, as I get older, everything just spreads out. I've told you, man, it's widescreen. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you? How are things? Yeah, very, very well, thank you. I'm very busy doing all these podcasts and things. Um, yeah, because we, we had the kind of fortnightly one, which was Nerd versus World. Uh, and that was going particularly well and we had like kind of fortnight well we had guests like once a month on that uh and it it was going particularly well and loads of people are going oh can we come on the show so i thought well screw it i'll start another one so i'm now doing this one which is a weekly one Uh, and this is just an interview one because nerd versus world is is me brendan and ad basically sat bitching about anything that we don't like that's going on in the world of (laughs) sci-fi fantasy doing it makes me realise that I know a fuck ton of authors. Yes. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, actually? I mean, I was looking through my friends list the other day for a, a particular author and um, who appears and disappears on Facebook when he gets his settings wrong. And uh, I realised just sort of how many of, of the authors in my friends list are rock-solid figures in the world of well, mostly the crime authors. Yeah. But, you know, some sort of sci-fi and stuff as well. And uh, it's... It's quite touching, actually, to have authors that are established and have X amount of millions of pounds in their bank mm. in my in, in my fan base, as it were. Yeah. Do you know? It's, it's really. Yeah. If only the publishers could see that. <laughs> well, it's very I did, did. Did that kind of come about before or did, did you know like a lot of authors before you started writing yourself or have you met them along the way? Um, 
I knew the only author that I knew before I started writing was Peter James. Right. Um, and because I, I helped him with his books back in the day when he, he came into John Street Police Station to uh, meet some real police officers and, and learn some interesting things. Um, I was writing a terrible film at the time with a friend of mine. And so I emailed him afterwards and said, I hope you remember me. I'm the one you went out for a fact with. Uh, is there any chance I could get your advice on something? And mm-hmm. he said, yes, of course, but I might need to tap your brain in return. Key me getting his full manuscripts to go through for authenticity before they got published. Um, but yeah, the others I've kind of picked up along the way, really. All right, cause, uh, so you kind of started out in a consultancy type role. Almost, yeah, a free consultancy type role. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, I did use his name like a club for the first couple of years of writing. It's like, <laughs> hello, look at my book. I know Peter James. I know Peter James. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that did um, that did pretty well. Uh, although it never quite got me a um, it never quite got me a uh, a book deal. Yeah, which is the unfortunate thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd get agents and um, and things like that, and um, they put it out to publishers, and the publishers had um, the publishers say really like it. It's commercially viable. Thank you very much. Just a sandwich delivered. I love you. Well, awesome. Um, <laughs> Where's yeah. mine? Um, unfortunately, we haven't worked out how to make internet sandwiches yet. Damn That's you! I know, sorry. Matter transportation, get on it, sir. Stop all the lighting <laughs> and build a transporter. I'll do it. Um, yeah, where was I? Um, yeah, they basically, I, I just, you know, I've never quite been able to get break into that publishing thing. But a lot of the other authors that I that I now know in my sort of peer group are ones who successfully published through those agents. So I've yeah. kind of picked them up along the way. Um yeah, and they're all wondering why I haven't actually been properly published as well. I just don't know the answer. Yeah, um, I mean, because you because you publish a load of ebook stuff as well, don't you? Yeah. Uh, how how many have you got out on ebook at the moment? I've got three that are just me. I've got the Follow, which is a crime novel based in Brighton. Wing of Men Do Nothing, which is a crime novel based in Brighton. And I've got Flair, which is my latest sci-fi um, extravaganza. Yeah, I've um, not read Flair yet. I have to because I, I read the Follow because I read that years ago. I think when you were before you'd released it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was awesome. By the way, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. The characters good, are cause, great because that's that's the least good of my books. Yeah. No, I, I really liked it because I thought that the is it, is it Gareth the name of the main character? Yes, Gareth Bell. Yeah. Yeah, I, he was awesome. He was really well written. So yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed that, mate. It was kind of one of those kind of romp around various locations doing stuff. Yes, yeah, it's it's. I was very much about the moral grey areas that you can quite easily slip into, and lots of police officers want to. Mm. Um, the yeah, I keep losing track now. Yeah, That's so I mean. yeah, the follow's been out for a few years now. When Goodman Do Nothing came out a couple of years ago, and Flair's obviously only a couple of months old, but um, it's quite interesting going into sci-fi because it's it's gone so much better from the start than the. Um, than the crime novels did, even though everyone always said to me, write what you know. So I wrote about being in the police, being an ex-police officer. Somebody should have said to me, write what you love, because I've always loved sci-fi and fantasy. Well, indeed, and yeah. I wrote Flair in four weeks, and it's had almost no changes, other than tidying up my, my two fast finger spelling mistakes. Yeah. It's had almost no changes to it, and it's done really, really well. You know, I was going to say, yeah. 30, I was going to say, I've got 30-something reviews, most of which are five-star. Uh, except a couple of people in the um, in the states who've um, given it one star reviews. So is that is someone just... yawning at you? <laughs> yes, yes, that was someone yawning at me. Yeah, sorry. 
<laughs> That's yeah, fine. But yeah, I, I, I was going to ask because uh, obviously we met like way back when, and it was all all to do with sci-fi thing because it was on Cyberpunk that we met on Interwired uh, live role playing. Again, that weird thing is that I've found a lot of the writers I know are role players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've found that. Um, I mean, I for for years now, all I've done is run games when I actually have my role plays, uh, like Cyberpunk Syntax. Hmm. And writing a game is very much like writing a novel. Yeah. Uh, the only difference really being is that instead of your protagonist, you going, right, then he's going to do that, then he's going to do that, you go, I really hope he does that. Yeah, you, you've got to cater for like 30 people and them doing random things. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, um, but the actual putting together of a plot of an event, of writing in what's going to happen, staging it so that... Um, so that you sort of get peaks and troughs um, where you get like chances to get the story out and chances to yeah, have the characters do their funky thing. Very, very similar to novel writing. Yeah, so and it's, it's, it's a creative thing, isn't it? It's yeah, I was going to say, do, do you kind of approach them both in the same way? Yeah, I think you, you kind of do, but you um, the major difference is that you can't account for what the, what the characters are going to do on a live role-playing event. Yeah, so sort of that's reactive. To, yeah, you have to put in fail safes. So you know, like if if the players do A, you'll do this. If the players do B, you have to find a way to take them back around to making them do A without seeming like you're railroading them. Quick, send in NPC plot hook A. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, um, you, but your character when you write a book, your protagonist, you can you can say, well, he's he's going to do this, and you know he's going to do it, and you know nothing's going to change. Unless you get an idea in the bath and something, you're like, oh my god! I was going to say, it could be slightly more interesting when your character does start going off and doing random stuff. You're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. Well, actually, that does sometimes happen. <laughs> sometimes when you're writing, because there are loads of different ways to write, and authors have got their own methods. I'm a seat of the pants writer. I've got a vague idea of what's going to happen, and I'll have like points A, B, C, D, and E. Mm. Between those points, I've got no idea what's going to happen. I just sit down and write, and I get there. And I've actually surprised myself writing before, and that's what can be so exciting about it, is that I'll start off and I'll be like, right, this is going to happen, then they're going to meet these people who are going to cause some trouble. And in between, something amazing happens. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it can be really interesting, which is why it's... I mean, obviously, it's very different writing a book to reading one, but it's almost the same in some ways when you get pleasantly surprised by what's happened. Yeah. yeah I really cool, enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, I was going to say, because yeah, I, I think it's a bit weird approaching it in different ways because kind of some uh, when i when i write i tend to write from a, a beginning and then just see where it goes uh whereas a lot of people tend to start with an end and then yeah. see how they get from a beginning to the end yes yeah i mean i find that not having an end or not having a next sort of waypoint can it can either be fine or it can make my writing wobble Mm. Um, so at the moment I'm writing the sequel to Flair and I'm about 20,000 words in and I know where I want to end up at the very end of the book but I'm not sure how to get there I can't find my next waypoint and I've written and rewritten and rewritten about four chapters of it again and again and again and I don't want to go back any further than that because it's fine up to that point yeah. but it's almost like there's a divergence and I can't <coughs> in my head work out which way I want to tell the story so I just keep rewriting it <coughs> it's a nightmare. Excuse me, I'm just <coughs> choking on That's tea. That's right, choking to death. 
I am an ambulance responder, but it might take me some time to get to you. Yeah, it might take you a little while. Are you in Brighton? Yeah, so it'll be a good yeah. hour and a half, maybe two hours. Well, what I'll do is I'll nip out. I'll um, I'll invent the uh, the, the sandwich transporter and then the I'll matter transportation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think sandwich transporter has a snazzier <laughs> ring to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, you're joking. Yes, no, no, no. I'm 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 fine. Serves me right for getting a cup of tea now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mine's empty. Ah, there you go. So no choking on tea for you. No, no, sadly not. I do have some cake though. Some some homemade, lovingly by my wife, cake, which I will display for you there. There's a piece of nice marbled cake. That looks pretty cool, marbled cake. Which I'm now not going to eat because I don't want to choke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can't have both of us choking on air. Well, no, exactly. It sounds wrong. So yeah, you. Uh... Which, which which do you kind of prefer now? Because you've done the two crime novels, you're in the middle of the second sci-fi novel. Which which are you preferring at the moment? Um, the sorry, I've got I've got voices in the background. You say which uh, which do I prefer writing yeah. the genre? Yeah. Writing? Um, I I prefer writing sci-fi. Yeah. Um, I'm. I don't I don't think it would be fair for me to say which one I'm better at. But writing flair felt much, much stronger. Yeah. I still enjoy writing crime because when you write uh, something that's set in the modern day, everybody understands the framework. You don't have to explain anything about the world. You don't have to um, explain anything to, to make it fit with the way people would expect it to be. Mm. You can just write a story. Whereas any form of sci-fi, by its very nature, you, you have to kind of explain the way the world has changed or uh, why the world it was different in the first place. Uh, and that can be quite tricky sometimes because you've got to stick to the same set of rules. Yeah, I was going to say, with, with uh, sci-fi, do you find yourself kind of stuck explaining words that you've made up all the time? Well, I'm quite lucky, I suppose, that I write first person, so... It's not always a perfect understanding from the protagonist's point of view. Hmm. So if he doesn't understand something, or if I don't understand something, then he doesn't have to understand it. And then when it can be explained to him by another character, it can be explained in layman's terms. Because um, they've dumbed it down for him, because I'm too dumb to work it out in the first place. It works great. Yes, later on you go, oh, no, I've figured out what the flange wave capacitor does. Uh, let's explain it to him. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's quite... Um, that that's quite good for me, but I just I love getting lost in the possibilities of sci-fi. Yeah, because you can write anything. Yeah, do you I, do, I, do you do a lot of kind of world building? Yeah, I tend to. I mean, I've I've written eight full novels now, and loads of tiny little bits of novels, and the only the only ones that I've really seen the light of day, or the only one that's seen the light of day apart from the crime ones. I wrote a, a trilogy of thrillers I, I started writing other thrillers um and then i realized that what i was actually doing was i was following a piece of advice that was given by james patterson which was if you want to make money writing write thrillers and then i thought well you know making money from it would be nice but i write because i love it if mm. i don't write i get i get all pent up <laughs> yeah it's like the stories need to come out but then you get a problem like at the moment where i'm trying to write the sequel for flair because so many people have asked for one so i've jumped straight into that and it's almost as if all the words get pent up inside me. I let them all out by writing a novel. And when I finished, I'm completely drained and they have to build up again. Yeah. 
in order for me to be able to let them out again. So do you so, tend to just kind of, uh, I think you said earlier, you're more of a seat of the pants writer, so you don't kind of sit and plan like the world and the people in it and who how they interact and stuff like that? No, but the thoughts come to me. Yeah. Um, normally when I'm either out walking or if I'm, if I'm, the shower is a very good place for creative thinking because you've got, not got a lot else to do really other than stare at the wall. Um, so... I find that's quite a good place for thinking. Going out for a walk is great. If I'm driving on my own, I'll be thinking about it. When I wrote Flair, I mean, like I said, it took me about four weeks to write. And I was dreaming about the characters. I was lying in bed, falling asleep, thinking about the characters. And I was actually really ill at the time. And I would drag myself out of bed, drag myself to the kitchen window, open it to get some fresh air, and just sit there at my laptop for 14 hours and, and crack on. Yeah. And um, and drank an awful lot of coffee. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, which wasn't really helping with me being ill because my system was constantly going, oh my God, there's too much caffeine. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, apparently, as uh, as an author, you can actually claim your money back on VAT for coffee against uh, as an expense. Oh, the kind of, yeah, expense. okay. <laughs> yeah, which I haven't got around to yet because we buy in bulk, so it's cheap. That's um, probably work for me as well as a programmer. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, one day I would very much, you know, I'd like to write for a living. I love writing. Um, the more... I do in the rest of my life the um the less time and energy i have to be creative yeah and i need to thoroughly exhaust all my other creative avenues in order for the books to build up again it's really hard to explain but i was thinking this morning that um i want to write a blog post on how um interactivity can bugger up creativity right as much as if if I'm just watching stuff on telly and I'm reading books and occasionally I'm playing something like Titanfall, for example, which is, you know, a really good fun computer game, immersive in as much as it's a first person shooter, but you're not getting involved in the plot of the world, as it were, hmm. then I'm fine. But if I'm playing something like, I don't know, like Elder Scrolls Online, for example, or something like that, because I'm immersing myself um, in something where I'm actually interacting, I'm part of a story already and it kind of stops them from building in my head yeah i, th I think you're right because I, I i've kind of found that uh, if, if i'm wanting to go through a, a kind of creative bit like i want to sit and write some songs or i want to write something else i have to kind of stop doing the games because yeah they really do pull you in and you're constantly thinking about that world and oh god i've got to go do such a quest and uh, i need to do this to get that and go over there and do that and busy talking to all the npcs and stuff and that really gets in the way of you kind of sitting down and thinking of what you're trying to write yeah 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 completely and it it's I, you know i am a gamer i've always been a gamer mm. if i don't get my computer game fixed then i get irritable yeah i get i get knocky it's a bit like having low blood sugar or being a smoker and, and being denied a cigarette when you want one it's you know it's one of those things and I tend to fit my gaming in when my wife's at work at the weekends, which is my writing time and also my responding time for the ambulance and things like that. So I'm trying to cram everything into this tiny little space. Mm. And But I do find that when I get in, really into writing a novel, like I did with Flair, I don't want to game. Yeah. I don't want... You know, it, it gives me my creative fix mm. uh, and, and all my interactivity fix as well because I'm, I've got all these characters living in my head. Um, and... Speaking of characters, one of the interesting things with Flair as well is that I wanted to have a main character who was a normal, average person. Um, 
And in a, in a lot of ways, I identified with him. In a lot of ways, I didn't, because you know, being an ex-police officer, being you know, an ops manager for a security company, I'm I'm used to jumping in feet first and and like dealing with situations as they happen and hurling myself into groups of fighting people. Whereas you've got Malk, who's a uh, he's a magazine journalist. He's got no skills in the area whatsoever. He's Parts of him are just completely alien to me, but it was really interesting to write because he then meets Emily, who's a, an ex-soldier from Remy who came out six months before. So you've got this horrific post-apocalyptic world that they're trying to get to grips with. And he's really inept at first, as it were. But he's not inept, he's just not experienced. And, you know, he's never had to make life-changing decisions or life-saving decisions before. And he's being led by a really strong female character. And a lot of the women who read it have really liked that because... You do find that um, books written by men, not always, not this is not a hard and fast rule, but quite often um, prioritise the male and the uh, the female characters are, are you know sort of quite weak and they only talk about men or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have, have a really strong female sort of co lead was really important to me for for Mount's character development as much as anything else because he's kind of being shown you know, how how to survive on this trek to find his daughter. Um, unfortunately, that's the one thing that a lot of the Americans seem to not like, is that they're saying, well, the main character's really weak and inept. And what they want is they want, like, a, a survivalist who's got 16 M4s in his basement and goes out and shoots everybody, but that's not what it's about. Right, so they're, they're not after the kind of Chuck-type scenario of the bumbling male lead with strong female. Yeah, basically. And funnily enough, I'm, I'm re-watching Chuck at the moment on Netflix. I, I'm watching Chuck. I, I never watched it first time and I'm like halfway through season three now and I love it. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Although you can spot the point where he starts directing it. I'm pretty sure he didn't direct the first two seasons. I'd have to check that. Probably not. Um, say, most of the direction seems to be uh, Robert, is it Robert Duncan McNeil, the guy who played Paris in Enterprise? Oh, really? Yeah, he, he's executive oh. producer and directed most of seasons one and two, from what I can see. Ah, because I did notice that, I, again, I will stand corrected, but uh, it could have been producer, but I'm pretty sure that the director is now Zachary Levi. Right. Uh, for seasons three and four, um, when he becomes a lot more capable. Yeah, because he's kind of starting it, because they've brought in, like, Brandon Routh and everyone in season three to kind of bump up the cast list a bit. Yeah. Yeah, but it's no, it's a great series. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, but yeah, yeah so that, that it, it, side, it's yeah. not that kind of thing that people are looking for. Yeah, and I, I do think that that's the um, that's the problem that some people are having. Not many. Most people are coming back and saying that you know they love it. They're giving it five star reviews, four star reviews, um, and I. I genuinely think it's one of those novels that if you pick it up and, you know, one of the reviewers said not enough people died. It wasn't depressing enough. Fair okay. enough. If that's the type of, you know, sci-fi you want to read, if that, you know, that's what the kick you get out of an apocalypse, then fine. This is not the book for you. And, you know, you can't write one book that's for one. You just can't do it. I was going to say, um, there, there seems like to be a lot of the, the post-apocalyptic fiction at the moment. It seems to be getting more and more important. I think with, with the rise of stuff like Walking Dead and so forth, yeah. the post-apocalyptic environment seems to be becoming a much more popular thing to write in. So I think kind of it, it seems to be veering... Either people are going towards writing steampunk or writing post-apocalyptic. seems to be the, yes. the two ways people are going. What? Being off a tea now, but I turned it down for safety's sake. Yeah, of course. I've set a precedent already. We don't want you dying because I can't respond to you. 
even with a matter transporter. I could turn up and like, uh, kind of wave your face a bit, but you'd still expire. Damn your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, do, sorry, do you the, think uh, post-apocalyptic is, is becoming much more popular now? I, I think it is, slowly but surely. Although I'm rather hoping that in the same way that um, George R. R. Martin's books are the gateway drug to fantasy, as it were, <laughs> I'm rather hoping that mine will become the gateway drug to uh, post-apocalyptica. Um, because a lot of people, uh, there's a uh, there's a book reviewer, a, a cat who runs Best Prime Books to Read, really really popular. You know, all of the um, the, the publishing houses send her their their pre-release editions, advanced reading copies, so she'll review them. Massively popular. She read my Prime books and absolutely loved them. I'm saying I don't understand how you're not published. She then read Flair for me, and it wasn't her type of books. She write she reads crime novels. Um, and her review was a five star saying, I don't read this genre, or I should say I didn't used to. Mm. And her review was excellent. She said, you know, I read the blurb and I thought I'm not going to enjoy this book. It's not my cup of tea at all. I'm only reading it because I feel like I, I need to, you know, because I should, because I said I would. And then she absolutely fell in love with it. And she's really encouraged a lot of her crime readers to go out and buy it. Yeah. Um, because it's not what she thought it would be. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hoping that maybe, I, you know, I can tap into that market as well. I just want people to read the book and enjoy it. I think it's a really good story. I loved every second of writing it. I really want to share it with people. Cool. Whatever whatever genre they read, um, then great. But I'd really like to tap into that market. I'd like to bring small people into the sci-fi mm. um, genre because there are so many good books in the genre, so many good books um, that people just don't read because it's genre fiction. And they're like, oh, I don't read genre fiction. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe if they they discover something that's kind of like sci-fi light, mm. they might um, start move further into it. We'll see. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I, I was just thinking that because uh, I, I I was just wondering about different types of genres again, and wondering why cyberpunk has disappeared over the years. But I, I think it's probably been replaced with the kind of stuff you're talking about, which is the post-apocalyptic lack of technology environment. Do you think that's about right? Do you... Yeah, I think so. And also, you have to bear in mind that we're now living in the cyberpunk age. Indeed. And you know, we, we haven't all got cyber limbs and, and the net isn't a VR construct. So I think I remember, I say I remember, I wasn't talking to him about it. William Gibson once saying that, was it William Gibson said it? That cyberpunk was a dead genre as soon as it was written. Mm. Um, and the, the thing is, I mean, some of the advances in technology that we've had in real life have far outstripped cyberpunk. Yet some of the advances they haven't have, at all. Yeah, a, a mile, you know, years away from, from being um, being brought out. So I think cyberpunk is a very confusing genre. Uh, although um, a good friend of mine, who you may know, called Ken, Ken yeah. Creel, has just brought out a Hunting Party yes. on Kindle, which is a cyberpunk novel and it's terrific. But it's not your traditional cyberpunk novel in the same way that like William Gibson uh, or Neil Stevenson would be. Yeah. So. It's yeah, I think it's still out there, but I, I think you're right. I think it has been replaced by like apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic novels, because cyberpunk. A lot of it was about what if, what's going to happen to the world. Mm. And now, I mean, technology is advancing so fast that you'll write something today and tomorrow it will be reality, and you, you've lost your edge. But and a... oh, I've lost you, sir. Hello. Are you there, Sydney? I'm not quite sure what happened there. No clue. I just lost you. Yeah, the the internet seemed to disappear somewhere between me and you. It happens. It's because we're talking about technology going away. 
Well, that's exactly it. And they so, went, oh, I'll teach the bastards. Exactly. Don't talk about technology if you don't want it to screw up. <laughs> well, that, that, but that's what I was kind of going to say to pick back up again. I was going to say cyberpunk was very much about what would we do with technology and post-apocalyptic is what would we do without technology? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And yeah, I think going back to the, the point I made in tying that in, I think you're right. Is um, Nowadays, we're so used to working with technology all the time that... Um, that it's no great surprise anymore. There's no real sort of like secrets within technology. Whereas, you know, post-apocalyptic, everyone can go, Christ, what would I do if that happened? Mm. I, th- I think it's, yeah. we, we get very used to kind of building in new stuff that happens very quickly. It's like I keep watching... Uh, shows on tv and now we're going through a big thing that all the crime procedurals are all talking about bitcoin and so forth as that's that's the new thing to talk about that that goes wrong is bitcoin everyone's doing bitcoins everyone's searching the dumps for their computers because they've thrown them away with 500 bitcoins on them (laughs) so yeah i I think it's uh, it's kind of evolved to the point now where a a lot of the tv shows have built-in technology (sighs) as, as a standard feature rather than as a kind of overriding concept Yes. Yeah, I think you're right, very much so. But the um Yeah, I, I still I still would like at some point to get into T V and film, but through through the writing. Yeah. Um because there are a lot of um uh, sort of traditions I suppose within within T V that I think are completely unnecessary, particularly with things like sci fi. Hmm. Now, I know I keep coming back to sci fi but I I like it. Well no, absolutely and, I've been I've been intrigued to see that there have been quite a lot of attempts at sci-fi shows recently that have sort of, you know, some of them have been all right, some have been really good, uh, and some have just been absolutely bloody dreadful. I, I think that some sometimes you write a story and you just know that it it would work so well on the screen, and other others need to stay as books because a, a bad... Um, uh, a bad TV show from a good book kind of ruins a good book for a lot of people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but it'd be quite nice at some point to see some of the ideas that I can't with over the years on the screen. Mm. I suppose we shall see that something for the future, really. Indeed, mate, yeah. So, uh, f- final plug, give a plug of stuff of yours. Okay, um, probably the best thing that um, that you could do is go to Amazon, um, type Flare into the search bar in Kindle Books, yeah. and you will see, um, yeah, Flare by me, Paul Grigorjev. Um, it's only available on Amazon, but it is worldwide. It's two quid, which is less than a pint by quite a considerable way, I would think, nowadays. Yeah. I don't, don't drink that much anymore. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a, a story about uh, the world going wrong after a solar flare. It's set in the UK. And it's a very British apocalypse. It's been referred to as the thinking person's apocalypse. Yeah, very so, nice. Yeah, and if you'd rather read crime, then look for When Good Men Do Nothing or The Follow. And uh, yeah, see what you think. Awesome. Well, cheers for taking some time out chatting to me. So it's a pleasure talking to you as always. Great fucking guns!